understanding that you're connected to something bigger than yourself, i.e. God, and other people that love you and where your values come from that will be the biggest driver in your worldview, which then, as I said earlier, determines your, ad, your, your attitude, that worldview or philosophy of life determines your attitude, which then determines your actions, and then your actions determine your lifestyle. The human brain, the ABCs of joy, and how they relate to Philippians chapter one. In part two of our series, the can-do and joyous Christian. Hello, and welcome to the Transforming Lives Together podcast. Who we are around affects who we become as people. If we are around positivity, we are more likely to be positive people and view things from the hopeful and joyful perspective. As we will discover in our study for this week, We can misinterpret circumstances in our lives if we have had bad experiences in the past, and those misinterpretations can hinder our joy. Before we turn it over to Father Ward, we want to say thank you for your time as you tune in each week. We pray you are blessed and encouraged by the content of this podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe to stay up to date with the latest episodes. If you have enjoyed what you're hearing from this podcast, please help us out by leaving a five-star rating and review. Your positive feedback will help us reach more people with this podcast. And now, here is Father Ward with part two of the Can Do and Joyous Christian. So that's the first, the attachment center. The second is the assessment center. The assessment center is our on and off switch. It's what we determine is good, bad, or scary. It's the fight, flight, or um, freeze center, right? So when someone uh, triggers you, when you get upset, we all have different triggers, right? Um, That's your on and off switch going off. And we're not just talking about triggered in terms of you blowing up and getting upset. We also are talking about triggers in terms of fear. So let's say you had a bad experience when you were growing up with a dentist. If you've had a bad experience with a dentist, if you had a bad experience with a dog, if you have a bad experience with a priest, God forbid, every time as you grow up, as you go to get older, you're going to have a little twitch in your, in your uh, psyche, in your brain. It's going to be subconscious. Yeah, you can get over that, but there's always going to be because at a young age, what was supposed to be good was bad. And then you can have the reverse. What is bad becomes good. So if you're in an abusive relationship growing up, that's all you know, that is your security. And that's why some people go into abusive relationships. And I know there's some people who maybe were in a good home but ended up in an abusive relationship, but it's easier to get them out of that than if someone that's all they knew. You see how that works? It all starts how we're brought up, and that's going to affect how we relate and recognize things. Recognize things. Now, if your on-off switch is triggered, you need to get it back off, or get it back on, I should say, so you can go to the next level. And so if you know what sets you off, you can be prepared. There's certain things that set me off. The other night, I shouldn't say this, but it's a good illustration. The other night, 
now I shouldn't say this. Oh, no, but now I did. Oh, okay. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. All right. Well, uh, <laughs> oh, after the uh, vestry meeting, there were a couple young men, well, college age, they were doing the skateboarding out there. And, and I went out there and I started yelling at them. And, and I just lost my temper. And I shouldn't have because the guy flipped me the bird, right? He gave me the finger. Now, he, <laughs> he didn't know I was a priest at the time, but he gave me the finger. That set me off. So I went in there, I started yelling at him, and I had to calm down. I had to apologize because I lost my temper. And we resolved it. I said they couldn't be in the lot. But because he gave me the finger, uh, I was in the window. I was like knocking, saying, hey, knock it off. He didn't know I was, you know, he, again, he didn't know. It was a misunderstanding. That set my trigger, right? And I was embarrassed, honestly. And I said to myself, you know what? I got to get a hold of my emotions. Um, and so we all are, we, all those things happen to us. You know, if you're in the car, maybe, and someone does something that can set you off, it's not a good place to be. And so we always have to be on the alert. Now the third, so if though I can get my on switch back on, then the third level is the attunement level. That's where you're in sync with people. Like if you have a rapport with someone, you can really, you're in sync with them. It goes on that Wi-Fi connection, man. I, I can relate to you, you can relate to me. We're looking each other in the eye. We, we kind of mimic each other. We're just really, uh, you know, firing on all cylinders relationally. That's a good place to be. But if you've got attachment issues... If your switch is off, you're not going to be able to attune and get in sync with the people around you. And then once you're in sync with someone or you're in sync with your surroundings, and that's what's nice about being in sync with God. Because if I'm in sync with God, I'm going to have that feeling of peace. I'm going to have that feeling of, you know what, everything's going to be okay. And then that leads me to the fourth level, which is behind the right eye, the prefrontal cortex, which is my joy center, my action center, it's called my action identity center because it's really who I am. And if I am happy with who I am and know who I am, then I can act in joy. So if I'm going to maximize the joy center, that means I need to remember who I am and I need to remember who are my people because it's understanding that you're connected to something bigger than yourself, i.e. God, and other people that love you and where your values come from that will be the biggest driver in your worldview, which then, as I said earlier, determines your, ad, your, your attitude, that worldview or philosophy of life determines your attitude, which then determines your actions, and then your actions determine your lifestyle. So when we start to get off track, we say, oh, wait a minute, that's not me. That's not what I'm supposed to be about. I'm a believer of Jesus. I'm getting off track. My people, my family, my church wouldn't like that. And in the same way, some people can find their identity in dysfunctional groups like gangs talked about. Or if you have a dysfunctional family or a cult, for example. People are seeking attachment, their identity, but they're acting then out of a lie, a distorted view of life. And so terrorists are an example. They're acting out of an identity that is destructive, that is evil. So you can have both. But what we want to do is we want to maximize what's good, and that's the Lord, and healthy relationships. And so then, if all four of these levels were going all the way through, and hopefully daily that's the norm rather than the exception, so we'll have exceptionally maybe bad days, but hopefully most of our days are good where we're able to go through those four levels, 
And then we go to the left side, the fifth level, which interprets and explains what's going on. So if the, my relational side is firing on all cylinders, then most likely I'm going to get the narrative right. But there are two things that can cause me to get the narrative wrong. If my relational circuits, I'm stuck somewhere here, or if I have baggage from the past, that can affect my narrative. So, for example, if I had bad experiences with parents or, or with uh, other people, or if I really failed in something, then that can uh, affect my narrative where I, I feel like I, I don't amount to every, anything or I'm a failure. I have to do this, that, or other thing to please people. See how that works? So, so if the relational side is off, like I said, that's one way to get the narrative wrong. The other way to get the narrative wrong it's if you're getting false facts about life, about yourself, about people. And, and so if you are getting a false narrative, now where would you get a false narrative from? How about if you were in 1930s Nazi Germany and you were buying the lies of Adolf Hitler and the National Socialist Party, right? That's a false narrative. So you can be relationally all firing right on the, on the right side, but man, you get a false narrative? Oh man, I'm in joy because I see what uh, Hitler is promising Germany and look at how we're, we're successful and now people are working and people have food and, and we're, we're, we're somebody. So there were perfectly mature, healthy, relationally grounded people who were sucked into the lie of socialism, uh, national socialism. Now that's an extreme example. Or how about uh, the, the media, or the, uh, uh, well, you know, the, the progressive agenda. Or even the right, extreme right-wing agenda. That's a false narrative. So where are you going to get the right narrative and the right relational understanding? Where are you going to get the perfect combination, balance for right and left brain? Relationship with God, healthy relationship with God through Jesus Christ and other believers and his word. His word is the right narrative and a born-again relationship is the right relationship. Do you see how that works? And so that's what's going to bring us true wholeness and healing and ultimately peace and joy. So it's all in the brain. Yes, it is. All right, well, with that, we're now going to get into uh, Philippians. But I, uh, what we're going to talk about and build each week is how do we maximize the joy in our lives? How do we maximize our relationship with God? Get the right narrative. We do it with the ABCs of joy. The ABCs of joy are, number one, appreciation. That's key. Showing your appreciation. Being appreciative. Relationship with God and other people. And there are different ways to do that. Number two, our beliefs. Our beliefs affect how we understand things. It's going to affect our joy. And number C, our connections. So the ABCs of joy, appreciation, beliefs, and connections. Now we're going to see how all three are manifested in Paul's letter to the Philippians. We're going to see how what we find in the Philippians, almost every third verse, is the emphasis on relationship, relationship with God in Christ and relationship with other people. That was what got Paul through his time in prison. That's what gave Paul hope. That's what 
gave Paul purpose. That's what gave Paul peace. That's what gave Paul joy. Those loving relationships. And so let's now delve into Philippians. Now Paul wrote the letter, like I said, while he was in prison in Rome, awaiting trial about between 59 and 61. He was appealing to Caesar. He was under possible death sentence. So he didn't know whether he was going to live or die. As a Roman citizen, he had certain legal rights. And so he was appealing to Caesar and he was going through the legal system. Don't think that it was totally barbaric and there was, you know, just a free-for-all. No, if you were a Roman citizen, you had certain rights. And so Paul was awaiting trial and he was allowed to write letters to the churches. So the church was spreading. In fact, we're going to see next week how Paul's imprisonment led to the gospel getting to the Praetorian Guard and even Caesar's household. How all things work together for good for those who love the Lord. That sometimes our bad circumstances, often God will use them for his greater purpose and glory. Isn't that wonderful? That should give us joy when bad things happen, knowing that somehow good's going to come out of the bad. Uh, Philippi, why Philippi? Philippi was a city in Macedonia, as I said earlier, a leading city. That's in northern Greece and today. And we see that Paul planted the church in the city of Philippi from Acts chapter 16. And uh, it was a center for trade. Greek was widely spoken. The citizens enjoyed treatment as if they were Roman citizens. They were a Roman colony, became a Roman colony after a battle that took place in 42 AD. Uh, and the uh, Romans took it over, but they gave them citizenship. So that was a great blessing. Of all of his letters, this one of the Philippian believers is Paul's most personal. He mentions joy and rejoicing in the Lord more than any other of his letters. There are no sharp rebukes or disturbing problems that he threaten, that he addresses, that threaten the progress of the church, and his frequent emphasis of Christ and his relationship with the church and its members underscore scores why he can remain joyful even under such dire hardship, as I just mentioned a couple of minutes ago. Now this is very interesting. The names Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord Jesus, Jesus, Lord and Savior, occur 51 times in the 104 verses of the epistle. Maybe God's trying to tell us something there. So uh, Philippians chapter 1 begins with the opening, and it's just basically Paul. He's identifying himself as Paul. Now notice he doesn't say the Apostle Paul. Why doesn't he say the Apostle Paul? Because he's really, this is more of a personal letter. He's not appealing to his authority as an apostle. You know, he would do that if he was trying to say, hey, you guys are messing up. You need to do this. Remember, I'm an apostle. All right? Sometimes, you know, it would be like me saying, hey, man, I'm Father Ward. Got to shape up. Uh, but if you're doing really good, I say, hey, uh, Brother Ward. No, just kidding. Um, but anyway, uh, so it's Paul and Timothy. And why Timothy? Timothy was a leader of the early church. And Paul was going to be sending uh, the letter via Timothy to the Philippian uh, believers. He was going to have send Timothy on his behalf to check up on them. Notice he identifies themselves not as just, you know, leaders, but bond servants of Christ Jesus. The greatest, the greatest title for all of us is servant of Christ Jesus. Uh, that's ultimately what we all are. And then notice it's to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. So it's to the believers in Philippi. Notice that a believer is called a saint, little less. We're all saints. We're all holy ones of God. And we become holy ones of God, not because we do great virtuous things, but because of God's grace that sanctifies us in Christ that is received by faith. Now the church does have uh, capital S saints for people who have really exemplified uh, following the Lord. 
uh, and we honor them. But the fact of the matter is there are a lot of people who could be capital saints in terms of their example and faithfulness that we just don't know of. God knows, and we'll know at the time and the end of the uh, age. But in the meantime, we're all saints of God because of his grace, including the overseers and deacons. So isn't that neat? The overseers and deacons would be the leaders. The overseers would be like the elders, the priests, the pastors. The deacons would be the deacons. And so he's basically saying, you're all equal as saints, and that includes the deacons and the overseers. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, isn't this great? Now, realize that everything in the scriptures, you know, if you're interpreting scriptures, you understand that everything in scriptures, there's a purpose for each and every word and even the order of the words. So Paul starts with grace. Why does he start by grace? Because everything we have is by grace. Not just our life, not just all the blessings that we receive physically and spiritually, but salvation itself is by grace, not by works, not by anything special that we do, by grace. And then peace. Peace is that internal peace that we have when we're in relationship with the living God. So grace and peace, and he uses that same expression in about six other of his epistles. Notice where it comes from, though. It's from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot have full grace, you cannot have full peace without knowing Jesus. That's simple. It's the truth. So that's why Paul, whenever he says grace and peace, it's always from the Father and the Son. And then we experience it through the Holy Spirit. Then in verse 3, he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Ah, notice what he starts with. Appreciation. I thank my God. He is being thankful to the Lord. Appreciation. For what? In all my remembrance of you. He's remembering the people. He's remembering the relationship he has with them. He's remembering what God's doing in their lives. That's what's getting him through. Always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. Prayer is how we communicate with God. Prayer is how we remember others before God. Prayer is how we get in tune with the power of the Holy Spirit. Prayer is how we gain understanding of the Scriptures. Prayer is how we maximize our joy. In view, what also is his motivating factor for joy? in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. So it's not just the loving relationship, but it's the fact that they're in tune with getting involved with the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Our purpose in life is not just to know God and to grow in God. Our purpose in life is also to make God known to others. And so that's why Paul says that. One of my favorite verses, verse 6, you've heard me uh, use it uh, in many sermons. For I am confident of this very thing. Now, isn't that great? Paul isn't saying, ah, I'm hopeful of this very thing. I'm, you know, he's, he's, he's certainly not saying, I'm not sure of this very thing. He says, I'm confident. That means he knows it's true. That he, who's the he God, who began a good work in you, when was the good work begun in us? At salvation, when we were born again will what? Perfect it or complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. What is the day of Christ Jesus? That is the second coming of Christ. So we will not be fully complete, fully made whole until Christ returns. And until he returns, it's a process of holiness, a process of perfection, a process of completion. But as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 
1 Corinthians 13, which is often the, uh, the uh, chapter for love, he says, we will not be perfect until the perfect comes. And the perfect comes at the end of the age. For it is, uh, I'm sorry, verse 7, for it is only right for me to feel this way about you all because I have you in my heart. Isn't that great? I have you in my heart. Isn't that what we want others to be for us in terms of have us in their hearts and we in in our hearts so that no matter where we are, no matter if I'm on the other side of the world, if I have you in my heart, that means you're special to me, that I love you and, and vice versa. That's what we want. That only comes from healthy relationships. Since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers of grace with me. So it's not just that connection that you might have with someone who's close to you, but it's also that connection you have with other believers. So that if I go to another country, what is my goal? If I'm kind of out and about or I don't know anybody, my goal is to find other believers because I know if I find another believer, I'm finding a brother or sister in the Lord. I'm finding someone hopefully that I can trust, someone that's going to back me up, someone who's family. Paul recognized that the Philippian believers were family. For God is my witness how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. So it's not just love. For love's sake, it's that love of the Lord. Affection is another word for love, that closeness of wanting to be close. And so Paul is saying, even though I'm in prison, I have you in my heart. I have a desire to be with you now. And I'm longing for that. And that's keeping me going. You know, how many people, you think of Terry Anderson, who was in prison for, I don't know how long, 500 days, remember, in Lebanon, you think of, some of these other guys, there's that South African police officer. I think he was in prison for 20 years in South Africa, a white officer. What kept him going? What kept him going would be their faith in God and their longing to be with family. That's what kept them going. If you don't have that, man, chances are you're going to die in isolation like that. Oh, let's wrap it up with the prayer. Beautiful prayer. You know, if you want to expand your prayer life, uh, always go through the scriptures, the various prayers of the scriptures. Certainly we all know the Lord's Prayer. That's very basic, though. Uh, we go a little deeper with Jesus' prayer in John 17, that whole chapter. But certainly it's good to look at Paul's prayers. And uh, if you remember a couple years ago, I did a sermon series on Paul's prayers. But notice what Paul prays now for uh, the believers. He says, In this I pray that your love may abound still more and more, so that we would grow in love, love for God, love for others. That makes perfect sense because remember, what did Jesus say? The greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. So this is all a work in progress for us to increase love. And the only way we can increase love is if self decreases. And that's why it's such a challenge. And so love, being other-centered, being concerned about people more than tasks and work, even though those are important, but people are more important than tasks and work. God is more important than even people, but yet God says, don't, you know, use me as an excuse for blowing people off. But in any event, Paul is saying that you would grow in love for God and for others. 
in real knowledge and all discernment. Real knowledge, that is the knowledge of God, true understanding of life, who we are, who others are, made in the image of God. And discernment, that's knowing right from wrong. Sometimes we think well, we're loving someone or we're doing what's right for them, but it may not be what's right for them. That's why we always got to be not too, not too uh, sure of ourselves in everything. Be humble. Be kind of sensitive to what God's doing in our lives. So that you may approve the things that are excellent. Right? So that we can say, yes, this is the excellent way. In order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. Now, what is that talking about? That's talking about our motivation. Sincerity means that what you see is what you get. There's no hypocrisy in us. That's a process too. But it's our motivation. Blameless means that I can stand before God so that whether I'm in secret or whether I'm in public, there is no difference between me behind closed doors and between me out front. That's being blameless. Having been, oh, again, until the day of Christ. So there you go, perfection, right? Till the day of Christ, return, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness. So the fruit of righteousness is just another way of saying the fruit that Jesus talked about coming from abiding in him. And that would be, again, the fruit of righteousness is the fruit of good works, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, and the fruit of bringing people into the kingdom. Which comes through Jesus, the vine, through his spirit, to the glory and praise of God. All of, everything goes back to God because we would be nothing without him. He is our everything. And so when we have that perspective, we can really start to move in joy because it sets everything right. It brings order out of the chaos. It, it evaluates, or I should say, um, guides our motives. Uh, and it leads us to greater love for God and for other people. You have been listening to the Transforming Lives Together podcast a ministry of St. Bartholomew's Anglican Church in Tonawanda, New York. To learn more about our church, please visit stbartston.org. Again, that's stbartston.org. You can also connect with St. Bartholomew's on Facebook and Instagram through the handle at St. Bart's Anglican Church. And you can connect with this podcast on Facebook through at Transforming Lives Together cast. We hope you will tune in next time as we continue our series, The Can-Do and Joyous Christian. Until then, we leave you with this verse from the book of the prophet Nehemiah. Then he said to them, Go, eat of the fat, drink of the sweet, and send portions to him who has nothing prepared, for this day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. God bless. You.